0: And uh, as we do so, let's just kind of stay in that attitude, let's stay in that attitude of prayer. You know, th- that song, uh, it's amazing to me how songs can kind of hold on, like, can invoke memories, and they, they, they just have such a staying power. I have a memory, a, a memory of me probably from whenever I was, oh, I had to have been in like first grade and we were at Minnetonka Christian Camp and it was a teen camp but because my parents were there I always got to go and hang out with the older kids and and of course you know anybody who's been in a in a church camp a Christian church camp uh, experience you know that like that Thursday night is kind of like a it's a heavy weighty night because uh, a lot of emotions are going on there and uh, and people are making decisions but then also it's just I mean you've had a full week with a, with a group of people and you're kind of all you know got to know one another and and, and you have just all this this world of emotions, but it can create these really powerful moments, and I just can remember the first time I heard that song was in that service there, and us all sitting there, and this is you know, this was before the days whenever we pampered all every every last one of us. I and mean, don't say we pampered our kids; we're all getting pampered today, right? I mean, we are all like a little bit weaker than we were at one point. Um, we didn't have air conditioning in this chapel, and uh, this we're talking about July or June or July, and and the middle of summer, and it would just have this, uh, this. Uh, it was just a metal building, and uh, you'd have garage doors, and they were all rolled up, and and had some fans going, and uh, just have this memory of just this song and it captivated me and, and the, the moment captivated me and Brother Mitch, thank you for bringing it back to uh, Friends with Baptist Church um, uh, and uh, I'm so glad that we're able to sing it. Listen, uh, let's just think about this like we need to be in your presence. That's what we need. That's what you and I need each and every day. I now mean, the last words that Jesus said to his disciples was, Look, I'm with you wherever you go. I will never, he's never gonna leave us nor forsake us. I'm with you wherever you go, even to the ends of the earth or the ends of the age. Right? That's the hope that he gave us was I will stay with you no matter what. I'm not giving up on you. Uh, Let's just go to our Lord in prayer. Lord, I love you. I thank you for who you are. Uh, of course, I, I could take this moment and use it as a teaching, preaching moment, and Lord, um, I just have that, uh, that, uh, uh, that ability, and, that, uh, and Lord, the fact of the matter is, is that there's other things that you've given me to teach and preach on today. So Lord, I, I pray and I ask that you would uh, arrest my mind, my heart, and, and get me back to the message that you have. You prepared, Lord, and your spirit has given uh, but Lord, we do thank you that we get these little moments where we can remember. Lord, I just think about like it's it's powerful to me that uh, like I have this memory that 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 puts like goosebumps on my arms sometimes whenever I think about it, and, and it's a, uh, from whenever I was a child singing this song, uh, and, and just the unity. And I think about that that. That scripture that says, uh, you know, unity is like, it's like the beautiful anointing oil that rolled down Aaron's beard, Lord. And I just think about like being unified with a group and how powerful that is. And Lord, we come together today and Lord, we come together in your name and, and Lord, we, we, want, we want to, we want to hear you together and we want to, we, we want to receive what you have for us together, God. And uh, Lord, we do pray and we ask that, uh, that you, you, Lord, we, we experience your presence here today. And we thank you for it. And Lord, we pray and we ask that you prepare us today that as we go out of this place that we can continue to walk in your presence, walk in your way, walk in the path, Lord, walk with the character of Christ, the attitude, the behavior, the actions of of Christ, Lord and, and God, I pray and I ask that you would uh, just be with us. That we would even think about like our lives this week and, and Lord, Lord, what 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 purpose do we have, Lord? Uh, you know, those questions are, are big questions, but Lord, we 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 are we are gifted to walk in your presence, and so help us and equip us so that we can walk in your presence, uh, Lord, that we can let your name be known through our lives. God, I pray. Uh, Lord, I pray and I just ask that you would uh, hear this prayer. Attend to us as we need to be attended to. Lord, some of us need, need encouragement today. We are so beat up and we're so overwhelmed. We're so stressed out. Lord, we need your spirit to encourage us and to lift us up. Lord, some of us here today, we, 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 need, to be, we need to be knocked down a peg or two. We kind of walk around in, in vain arrogance. And Lord, we need your spirit in the way that your spirit can do to come and to, 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 to correct us, Lord. And so, Lord, where we need correction. Correct us, Lord. Uh, Lord, some of us just we're looking for your we're looking for peace, we're looking for your presence, we're looking for patience, Lord. We're, we're, whatever it is that we need, I pray that you would attend to us. And what we need as a body that you will provide that as well. Our hands are open, Lord. Please fill them up, I pray. I ask these things in Christ's mighty resurrected name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. <laughs> so as we've been moving through uh this series called Chosen Exiles. We've been walking through the book of First Peter and um, and, and kind of just want to set the stage for some of those of you who might not have been here all, all along the way. Peter is addressing a, 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 like a bunch of Christians scattered throughout uh, the upper Asia Minor and, 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 and socially they are a displaced people. So they're social exiles, but then spiritually they're a displaced people because they trust in Jesus and they, they don't go along with the pagan idol. Of their culture, and so um, and so Peter uh, he, he writes this book to encourage them about who they are in Christ, about their identity that they are chosen exiles. And when we say chosen, we don't say chosen instead of others; we say chosen for the sake of others, for the sake of everyone. That's why they were chosen. And so he says, "You know, you have been your chosen exiles. You have this this great place." Uh, with God, like your new identity in Christ uh, provides you so much. You have this inheritance that's waiting for you. Listen, you uh, you are being you are being kept, you are being guarded, you are being like watched over. Your faith is being watched over and it, by the and it's being kept by the power. You are being kept by the power of God. It's, and it gives them this encouragement this way. It wants them to know, yeah, hey, you are the, the the newly minted peculiar people of God, and and, 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 and and here's what you need to do. You need to go out into your culture and you need to live on vulnerable lives because uh, they're going to hold you in suspicion. They don't know if you're for the good of the community or you're for the disruption of the community. Are you for the building up of others? Are you for the breaking down and tearing apart of others? What's your identity? They're going to hold you in suspicion because you're not doing all the things that the culture is. Doing and, and in particular, he talks about things like we, we in chapter four, he's going to talk about like maybe some of the things that we are, you know, classically in the church that we compare or, or, or have been concerned about, like outward things like sexual immorality and and, you know, and just wild riotous living, those kinds of things. But but in chapter two, he's talking about like, hey, hey, don't have deceit in your in, in, in your in, in your like, don't be a person of deceit. Don't be a person who is um who is malicious. Right, Don't have any malice in your heart towards people. Uh, he's, don't be envious of people. Right, These are the temptations that he wants the church and the, the disciples of Jesus, the chosen exiles, to, 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 to abstain from, to watch out for. You can get envious. And what is going to happen if you get envious? a whole lot of problems can happen. You know, he, 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 he he's addressing these types of issues, these character issues. And, and what he wants them to do is, is in chapter two, verses 11 and 12, he sets forth like the, the kind of uh, marching orders. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to live honorably. I want you to live exemplary lives. Listen, you're going to be in this culture and, and, and they're going to hold you in suspicion. And, and so how are you going to combat that? How are you going to combat that? Well, you're going to live lives that as much as within you is, you are going to live honorable lives. And whenever he says honorable lives, that doesn't, doesn't mean like I walk around and I'm a person of honor, a person of dignity. You honor, you live an honorable life by honoring other people, by giving them dignity and respect. And he says, do this with people who deserve it, right? Good people who are, who are lovely, who, who take care of you. And he says, but also do it to the people who don't deserve it. No, he didn't say that. Yes, he did. I promise you he said this. He said, listen, he says, servant, he says, even with your, your masters, he says, he says, be honorable in your work and your attitude and your character towards them to the good and even to the harsh. So this has been his marching orders. He's saying, hey, live an honorable life. Do do good for others. Do the right thing. Live righteously towards others. Live with a sense of of giving people dignity and respect instead of trying to take it from them. Build them up. Don't tear them down. Because that's what we're here for. We are the people who are like Christ. Christ didn't come into this world to condemn this world. He came into this world to save this world. But Christians say, no, it's my job to walk around condemning everybody. No, it is not. The Spirit of God is the one who rebukes. And the Spirit rebukes through our good. When we do good, and we're gonna talk about it here, when we do good to somebody who doesn't have, who, who we wouldn't rather do good to, somebody who doesn't deserve our dignity and respect. That has a way of rebuking them, not in a condemning way, but in a reproving way, in a healing way. So this is what Peter's been talking about. And then he comes down to chapter 3, and, and, he, and he's, he's kind of applied this principle in various situations and circumstances that they would find themselves in. And then he asks this question in chapter 3, verse 13. He says, listen, if you're doing good, who's going to try to harm you? Who's going to try to harm you if you're doing good? Well, we would probably say, well, nobody really is probably going to try to harm you if you're doing good. People are probably going get, to get on board with that. But, but but, then he goes on and he says, but, but if you do suffer, who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which you good? But if you do suffer for righteousness sake, for doing the right thing, then he says, happy are ye. That word happy is uh, often translated as blessed. Blessed are ye. If you do good and you suffer for it, you are blessed and you should be happy. You should find joy in this. So here's the introduction. Peter brings together two things that historically were not conceived as being partners. Blessing and suffering. He brings blessing and suffering together. Who looks at blessing and suffering and goes, hey, those those fit hand in hand. They're riding in the same vehicle, right? No, you think blessing and suffering. Blessing's over here, suffering's over here. And in fact, historically, uh, through scripture, in the Hebrew scriptures, in the Old Testament, uh, you could look at Deuteronomy chapter number 28, and the Lord says, listen, if you do good, I'm going to bless you. But if not, you're going to suffer for it. And so people have in this mind that, like, a lot of times people will say, oh, this person's suffering, oh, they must be doing something terrible. That's the story of Job. Job, what did you do to deserve losing all of your stuff, Job? Practical conventional wisdom says that you wouldn't be suffering what you're suffering unless you had done something really terrible or unless your kids did something really terrible. These are the arguments that Job's friends present, in fact, we see that th- th- this, this way of thinking, it, it, it kind of—it it was even persistent amongst the disciples. In John chapter 8, they, they happened upon this man who was born blind. He's born blind, and the disciples uh, come up to Jesus, and they said, who sinned to cause this man to be born blind? And Jesus is like, what? That's not what this is about. <laughs> he said, guys, no, that's not what's happening here. So, Peter brings together these two unlikely companions, blessing and suffering. And we know that they're unlikely companions, not only to to, to you and me often, but historically and scripturally, people saw them as unlikely companions. So we have to consider that the transformation of thought about blessing and suffering in Peter's mind is very significant. And then we can ask the question, what, what is it rooted in? Is Peter just being a preacher and just using some rhetoric? Is he trying to do some reverse psychology? I know it's really terrible, but you should be happy about it. You know, is he just a snake oil salesman? What is this rooted in? And you know, preachers, we could d- get some rhetoric, right? We could be like, uh, you know, I, I, I did my Rudy for y'all uh, a, a, a couple of weeks ago. You know, we're going to get them on the run, boys. We're going to keep them on the run. We're not going to stop till we reach that goal line. could give you a motivational speech. Is that what he's doing here? Just try to rally. Come on, boys. We're just going to keep articulating uh, uh, down the field. No. I, I, don't, I don't think that this is just rhetoric. It's not reverse psychology. In fact, um, what, we will, what we see here is that Peter believes that there's an assured hope of blessing when one suffers unjustly. There's an assured hope of you receiving a blessing, right? But even more than that, it's not just that he says, like, hey, you will be blessed, like something good will come of your suffering. Not, not just that, but, but Peter believes, or the text leads us to believe, that he intends to get, convey that we, that w- if you and I suffer unjustly, we should consider it a blessed privilege to have had the opportunity to endure unjust suffering. Now, then, this presents this question: Is Peter a madman? I mean, is he just crazy, right? Is he is he is he a, is he a masochist, right? I mean, like, is he just like, bring on the pain? I want to take it, you know? Is what's going on? Why would he say that if you're suffering for doing right, you should be you should consider you, sh- you should take it as a, a, a situation. You should consider yourself blessed. You should have joy in it. That sounds pretty masochistic, doesn't it? Or sadistic even. Is he a madman? I don't believe Peter is a madman. But as we're gathered here today, I, we will consider his argument more thoroughly. And so I want you to decide for yourself, is this a good Bit of teaching that you're going to receive from Peter? Are we going to receive it from Peter? Are we going to consider ourselves blessed when we suffer wrongly? That's what's on the table today. So uh, let's read through the full text. And as we do, here's what I think that we we will see. We'll not only see that Peter says we should be considered. Consider ourselves blessed when we endure suffering, Um, but why does he think this? And and and, and how we can apply it to our lives? So um, let's read it here. The text is on the wall. It says, "And who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? But and if you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, blessed are ye. Do not be afraid of their terror. Neither be troubled." But here's what you should do. You should sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And he said, you should be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. And you should be ready to give this answer of the hope that is in you with what? Meekness and fear Fear could be with, with, with honor or reverence towards somebody else. How many Christians have read that that way? Well, I'm supposed to be ready to give an answer. I'm going to go put them in their place. That's not meekness and fear. That's not obeying the scriptures. You don't put somebody in their place. You don't gotcha. Ha, you can't answer that argument, can you? No, You. we should do this out of love. This should be done out of compassion. This should be done out of a place for, for the desire for, to rescue somebody from, from death and destruction. This should not be, well, I'm doing my job. Putting them in their place. Show them how stupid they are for believing something else or not believing. If that's in our hearts, get it out. Clean it up. We got to clean that out. He said, you should be ready to give an answer for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Having a good conscience. Having a clear conscience that, hey, they're speaking evil against me, but I've not done anything wrong. Having a clear conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. That shame is not, they should be ashamed. It is, it's this thing. It's, hey, listen, I, I, I hurt you and I offended you and you responded with grace to me. You know what that does? That makes me go, "Oh, I want to act like that person." right? It's transformative shame. Uh, Paul talks about the difference between a godly sorrow and a sorrow that's of this world. He said, "A godly sorrow leads us to repentance, a sorrow that's of this world, leads us to death." That's in Second Corinthians chapter number seven. And then he says, "For it is better. If the will of God be so, that you suffer for well-doing than for evil doing. Well, let's just make sure that we have something clear here. Does God want us to suffer? Is that what this text is saying? It looks like it, doesn't it? Well, it's better if you suffer. That's what God wants after all. No, here's how we should understand this. We should understand what does God want from us? He wants us to do right. He wants us to do right no matter what. He wants us to do right, even if we are going to have to suffer for it. His will is that you and I live righteously. You and I live justly. You and I live lives that bring dignity and respect and honor and love to people around us. And sometimes when you're doing the right thing, Yes, who will harm you? Well, a lot of times nobody, but sometimes that will cost you something. Let me just give you an example of what this might look like. Let's just say maybe maybe you're at work and you're sitting down at the table and everybody's complaining about the boss and how big of a jerk the boss is and how all the demands that are coming down are so terrible and they're mumbling and they're grumbling and they're complaining and they want you to mumble, grumble and complain too. And if you don't mumble, grumble and complain, what are they going to th- they are not going to trust you. And you know this. You know they're not going to trust me if I sit there and I go, oh, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. I'm not going dis- to dishonor my boss. I'm sorry. <sighs> Pathetic. Weak. What? Oh, you just you kissing up to the boss now, huh? We, we can't talk around this person because they'll go tell on us. Tattletoe. Am I in a real world situation? Have you all experienced this? Have you experienced that, uh, that, that everybody's doing this, and if I don't get on board, they're not going to trust me. They're not going to let me in. They're going to hold me in suspicion. But what do we know about mumbling, grumbling, complaining? What do we know about speaking evil about somebody? Peter tells us in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, we should not be the people who are doing that. Where everybody's sitting there and they're, 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 they're ripping into the latest pol- political scandal and the politician who's the, on the other team who they hate. And they're excusing and justifying the, 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 the other corrupt politician who they love, right? I mean, who's on their team, right? And they're, they're just doing all this. And this is what we see happening in our world. And the Christians are like, oh, i got to make my voice heard. And if I, don't, if I don't, if I don't get on board and say, yeah, I hate them too, they're going to go, oh, <laughs> liberal conservative, <laughs> far right. It's not even like, hey, on one side or the other. It's like you're, you're, you're anti, and you're, an, you're, you're, you're an American nationalist or you're, you're Antifa. Whatever. I mean, you're, you're on the far end of the spectrum because you didn't agree with my, my, my vitriol towards this person. Are we in real life right now? And you and I are called to be different. And when we're called to be different, sometimes when we do the right thing, people will not trust us. And because sometimes doing the right thing means that you have to take a stand and you don't get into the malice, guile, envy, evil speaking. And they go, they're not coming over for dinner again. And you suffer the loss of trust. You suffered the loss of relationship. This is, in fact, the kind of suffering that Peter is talking about initially in First Peter. We should not think about them being brought in, you know, these tribunals where they're being held. At this point in Christianity, um, and we should know this, throughout the first several hundred years, like, there wasn't just, like, this massive, like, large-scale, like, we're going to go get the Christians. It was really, like, just the suspicious, like, touching, like, Who are they? What are they about? Are they for our good or are they against us? And so Peter says you're going to suffer. But he says you should consider yourselves happy. Here's how I would like us to think about it. You are going to suffer, but don't play and act like you are victims. Remember my friend Jack a few summers ago? He said we do not have the right to play the victim card. What happens if you suffer unjustly? A lot of people who suffer unjustly, and there's been a lot of unjust suffering in this world, a lot of people who suffer unjustly can do so with dignity, and they can do so, which makes perfect sense, they can also do so where they are acting like the martyr and acting like the victim. A lot of Christians I hear today do you see what they're doing to us? How they're coming after us? Yes, the gates of hell are... are, are, are the, 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 the world is attacking the church. The principalities and powers are attacking the church. Are we so? We're surprised by this? Why? Why are we surprised by this? Why are we playing the victim card? They didn't do this to them. So... It's not fun. I don't like it. But you and I have a bigger hope than they have. All they get is whatever they can do to us here. So we should be happy. We should consider ourselves blessed. And we should take a joyful disposition. Now, why? Why does does Peter even say this? Well, let's remember what Jesus said over in Matthew chapter number 5. Verse number 11, or 10, 11, and 12. Peter puts this forth because Jesus taught this. Jesus taught, blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And blessed is not, and you will be blessed. You are in a blessed position. You are blessed if you are persecuted for righteousness' sake. He says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because this proves that you have an inheritance that's beyond this place. Now, you're not scratching and clawing, trying to, well, I have to hold on to my good name. I don't want somebody distrusting me and talking about me behind my back. So I'm just going to hop in with all the evil speaking that they're doing. I'm going to jump on board. I'm going to slander somebody too, so they know I'm on their side. If we're doing that, if we're fighting for today, then we're not going, hey, I have a treasure in heaven that's awaiting me. You, 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 can, you can smear my name. You cannot invite me to dinner. I might have to have a lot of lonely nights. You, you will go, well, I'm not having that conversation with you. Okay. What am I losing? I want to gain you, but also at the end of the day, I have an inheritance that's waiting for me in heaven. It's reserved in heaven for me. And, 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 and I'm being kept by the power of God. And I'm marching to get that inheritance. Jesus continues. He said, blessed are you. It it, it gets more clear. When men shall revile you. When they speak evil against you. When they persecute you. They shall say all manner of evil against you falsely. Falsely is the key word there. For my sake. Rejoice. And be exceeding glad. For great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they, the prophets which were before you. Uh, Jesus is not just saying, hey, act like crazy people and smile. Second, you know, I just can't. No, I'm just joking. Uh, I I really don't care. I love you, brother. Um, (laughs) I love you so much. Uh, No, so no. um, Here we are. Jesus isn't just saying, put on a happy face. He's saying, you should consider yourself blessed and you should rejoice because they also persecuted the prophets. He says, that gives you a measuring stick. That gives you a measuring stick that you're on the right track. If they're having to lie about you and you've done no wrong and your conscience is clear, you've done no wrong. Then guess what? They did that with the prophets. They do that with the righteous they do that with the people who do the works of righteousness. So so, so Peter uh, knew that Jesus taught this, but then in Jesus, Peter saw it. He was face-to-face with Jesus, who had done no wrong. Suffering. He got arrested, and they lied about him. And they couldn't get their stories straight about him. And then they said, well, well, he has to answer for himself. And he said, I'm not answering for myself. And they said, well, we just think that you... You're a blasphemer, and you're trying to disrupt all of our, uh, you know, our peace. It, 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 if you read the trial of Jesus, you should see that this is a, this is not a just trial. It's unjust. And the only reason why Pilate gives into it is because Pilate doesn't want an uproar in the city and whenever it's swelled, um, you know, three times its size because it's a, a, a holy week, a, a festival week. He says, if if things get out of hand, then my job's on the line. So I'm just going to go ahead and and give in to this. And that was Pilate's character. Peter was face to face with oppression and exploitation and injustice happening to Jesus Christ. And he saw Jesus march through all that. And he said, okay, he didn't just talk about it. He lived it. He lived it. And not only did he live that this, this, this position of unjust suffering, he also, while he was suffering, did not, did not cause suffering himself. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then Peter, beyond that, what he saw was three days later, up from the grave he arose with the mighty triumph over his foes. He arose a victor of the dark domain. And he reigns forever. And he lives forever with the saints to reign. And then he arose. Is that you job? He arose. (laughs) We're so good. All right. That was just like a little commercial break for us. All right. He rose from death. And here's what Peter gets. Here's what Peter understands through the resurrection, which is the vindication of Jesus, is that is a promise that God will vindicate everybody who suffers unjustly in the name of Christ. That's a promise. That's an assurance. It's a hope. So Peter, why does he do this? Well, yes, Jesus told him you should do this. So yeah, he's just being obedient, but it's even beyond that. It gives him a measuring stick. He says, oh, I'm going to, y'all should, I want to do this and y'all should do this because it tells us we're on the right track. Our inheritance really is in heaven. That's what we're hoping for. I'm not trying to save my name. to get the praise of this world. I'm living for a different purpose, a different cause, for a different kingdom. But more, he saw it in Jesus and he saw that God actually vindicated his son. And he put him in a place of honor and that gave Peter an assured hope that God will do that for me too. If I suffer unjustly for the name of Christ, he will do that for me. Peter is not a madman. He was a witness to the reality that you can be happy in unjust suffering because you can know that you are on the right track. And when you suffer unjustly, you could be assured that God will rescue you. Maybe not here, but one day. He might not rescue you from experiencing death, but he will rescue you out of the pits of death just like he did his son, Jesus. Do we get that? Do we track that? That's where this joy comes from. That's where this is a blessed situation. I want y'all to see, Peter doesn't just teach this. Peter lived by this example. In Acts chapter number five, y'all remember Acts chapter number five? What has happened up until this point is in Acts chapter two, uh, Peter and John do something good. They heal a man who was lame from birth. And then they preach the good news about Jesus. And then the Sanhedrin say, oh, you're, you're preaching in Jesus' name. Come here. And they arrest them. And then they go back and forth. And Peter and the apostles say, we're going to obey God, not you. We're not going to do wrong by God because you're saying that it's wrong for us to do it. We're going to do what God tells us to do is right. And we're going to do that. And, and they said, oh, and they give him a stern warning. Don't you ever do this again. Well, in chapter five, um, a situation, circumstances arise where uh, they are creating uh, a scene again, and they get arrested by the Sanhedrin again, and they said, did we not tell you? And Peter and John, they say, the uh, the apostles, they say, we ought to obey God rather than men. <laughs> right? We're, we're, we're really sticking to our guns here. And then they beat them. They didn't just give them a stern warning, they pummel them. And I think they knew how to beat people. I don't think it was like, oh, They beat them. They flogged them. Uh, And if you'll go to Acts chapter 5, Brother Will. Hey, do y'all like the new scripture thing? Isn't that cool? Yeah, I made that. I'm just joking. Uh, I could not make that in a million years. Um, I discovered it. (laughs) And I was like, that's really cool that somebody made this. Here's what happens after they beat them. Chapter, verse 40 says... Well, they beat them. I should have put that on there. And it says, "And they departed from the presence. They departed from the presence of the council." Everybody, read that next word with me. I love y'all, but y'all are pathetic sometimes. I mean, just well, I'm judging that they were. Well, come on, y'all. Let's. Well, they departed from the council, and they were doing what? They were rejoicing. Why were they rejoicing? This is madness. Why would you rejoice? Why? Because they were counted worthy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm never trying this again. That's a lie. I'm stupid. I'll do it a a, a bunch of times. So y'all aren't aren't pathetic. I'm just giving y'all a hard time. Listen, listen, listen. Peter not only has this has this teaching from Jesus, he saw it in Jesus, he has this assured hope, but then Peter goes one step further and he says, you know what? My Savior suffered, and he did no wrong. And now I get to suffer for his name. I'm not going to do wrong. No matter what. I mean, how how do I get to suffer for the name that is above every other name? Oh, my goodness. I'm not a victim. I'm a son of the Most High. I'm an heir to an inheritance that's reserved for me in heaven. It's kept by the power of God. I have been given the spirit of God that lives within me, me, that allows me to know that I have value and I have worth in the eyes of God. Because before, I didn't know that I had value and worth in the eyes of God. Before, I thought I had to hide from God, just like Adam hid in the garden. But God, through Jesus, has revealed to me, I value you. I value you, and I love you because you're my creation. No matter what you've done, I love you. And I'm the one. If you you continue distrusting my love, you will continue on in sin and shame and death. But if you trust in my love, I will rescue you. Because all those things that you're doing, all those are part of your brokenness. And they're part of this idea that you, 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 you don't have value, you don't have worth. Because you tell yourself that every day, and the world tells you that every day. You don't have value and worth unless you have this much money in the bank, or you're driving this car, or you're wearing these pants, or whatever, whatever we ascribe it to. If, unless your children are oh, excellent A-plus students, you know? You don't have value or worth, and you beat yourself up every day, and you're living, and it's breaking your, 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 it's breaking your psyche, and it's breaking your emotions, and it's breaking your soul. And you need to know that I love you with an everlasting love. Oh, you need to know this. What was revealed on the cross? Not that I was some great sinner. I, I, that's revealed to me each and every day. What was revealed on the cross was... That God, even in while I was sinning, loved me with an everlasting love, values me. And he fills me with his spirit and he gives me this hope of this inheritance. And what that allows me to do, what that frees me to do, is to go and say, hey, look, you, 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 I don't care who you are, I don't care what you've done, you're loved by God, period, full stop. Let that sink in, let that be transformative. Let that transform their heart. Let that be the thing that brings shame to them. Oh, I'm loved by God, but maybe I shouldn't shouldn't be talking bad about people. May, I'm loved by God. Maybe I shouldn't be doing things that destroy my body and harm me. I'm loved by God. Maybe I shouldn't be so confused about my identity, and I should just accept that He loves me. See, we have the the message of reconciliation. We have this beauty. We are the ambassadors. We are the ones who are living and and get. You know what? You know what? Sometimes, if we're doing it well, and we're doing it right, people don't get it. They don't understand. And you might suffer for it. You might suffer in little ways or big ways. And what Peter wants you all to know is, A, you, that is a blessed position. That shows you you're on the right track. Hey, remember Jesus did it. And remember what happened the third day? God rose him from death. So that assures you that if you are suffering for unjustly for Christ's sake, you have an assured hope that God will vindicate you one day. He will set things right. And then Peter also wants to go on and say, hey, listen, guys, guess what? Guess what? It's a worthy, it's a worthy thing to suffer shame for the name that is above every name. For the one who suffered for you. Whew. In the midst of this, the last thing that we have to put is, this is the way that we actually testify, that we believe that there was this man, Christ Jesus, who did no wrong and suffered unjustly, and God raised him on the third day. And he is the one who is in authority uh, at the right hand of the Father. So people might look at you when you are being treated terribly, and you are not. <coughs> I can't believe they really treated me so terribly. And I'm not saying that you don't have emotions and that you don't express your emotions. But I'm saying you do that in the church. We can we can come together and we can encourage each other. You go before God and you say, God, man, it hurts and I don't like it. God, please help me and like I need I need like I lost a friend over this. God, this is not cool. I I I don't want to lose a friend. And you allow God's Spirit to say, I know you lost a friend, but you know what? That shows you that you're on the right right track. Hey, and guess what? God's going to make this right. I I promise you, I will make this right. I might might not make it right tomorrow or the next day, and it might be in eternity, but I will set things straight. Do you trust me? Do you trust that I will do this? Yes, God, I do. Then you come out of your prayer closet, and you're not looking like the person who's been praying in sackcloth and ash, but you come out of your prayer closet confident and assured that I am, I am, I am walking the right path, and and you go, and I am worthy. I was counted worthy. I was counted worthy to suffer. And guess what? That becomes a witness. And somebody goes, why? Why are you not walking around talking bad about this person who's been walking around talking bad about you? Well, you know why? Because I trust Jesus. Well, that doesn't make sense. Yeah, it does. Because whenever I trust Jesus, that doesn't mean I said a prayer. And then one day I'm going to go to heaven. When I trust Jesus, that means that I trust the way that he lived. And Jesus didn't go around bad talking people behind their back. And in fact, whenever people reviled Jesus, he never came back and said, I know, I know you are, but what am I? You know, <laughs> those kinds of things. He, he, or I know I am, but what are you? Um, so dumb, Macaulay. Golly, just get it right. You know, um, because whenever I trust Jesus, I mean, I fully trust Jesus. And Jesus didn't look at people whose society said don't have dignity and, 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 and or, or of ill repute and, and, and you just leave them alone. Jesus went to those people and he said, I'll give you dignity, I'll look you in the eyes and let you know you're loved by an everlasting love. And that's what I have to do. When people were hostile to him, if he needed to address it, he talked to them to their face. He didn't go talk behind their back. Oh man, did you hear what he said to the Pharisees at one time? Yeah, he was talking to them, not about them big, big, big issue. So my brothers and my sisters, I could keep preaching, but I think I should stop. Y'all are so sweet that y'all didn't amen that. Amen. <laughs> that but that was an appropriate place for an amen. Listen, here's the fact and here's the reality. I know that we think there, there is, there is Christian suffering today. There's all around this world. Christians are suffering right now in America. I would say like we probably at, at best, at best, we're not suffering unjustly. I think at best we're suffering because we're playing the game of the world. They're talking about us and we're talking just as nasty about them. And so this is what I would say. I would say, like, we need to really, really go, God, I want to get it right. I want to get this cleaned up. I want to get this cleaned up. I want to get this cleaned up. I don't want to be suffering because I'm looking like the world. There's no glory in that. There's no honor in that. There's no reward in that. There's no hope of vindication in that. God looks at that and goes, yeah, you're getting what you deserve. <laughs> I don't know if you know this. You being a jerk to somebody, they're going to be a jerk back. But I'm being a jerk for righteousness' sake. You can't. Blessed are the peacemakers, remember? So I would have us all examine our hearts. Okay, so where, where do I need to get cleaned up? Is it my mouth? Am I slandering people? Well, it's okay because they're politicians. It's not okay. I promise you, it's not. It's not okay. Is it your boss? Is it your bride? You have envy in your heart? You have hate in your heart? If we do if we have envy in our heart, we're going to do things that are rooted in envy. And those are not things that will be right. If you have hate in your heart, you are going to. You can be ruled by hate. So, as we come to the Lord today, I would say that we all need to examine ourselves. Peter will say this later. He will say, Judgment begins at the house of the church. That doesn't mean we stand in the church and we judge out everybody else. That means that as the church, we look within our hearts and we say, Am I doing right? Am I following his character? Am I giving dignity and respect and honor to the people that he would give dignity and honor and respect to? Am I loving like Christ? So with that, I'm going to invite you to go ahead and bow your heads, close your eyes, and talk to God about what God is talking to you about this morning.